Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Snap No Tap podcast with Tony Cicchini here. We got Joe Cardinal and our returning special guest, one of the fittest guys I've ever known and trained and friended is uh, Martin Witkowski. So we're, you know, the Polish prince. I mean, he's beyond that. There's got to be a word that's even that, that's even way above that, even above king. I don't know. Universal Polish sensation. Right, or, or as you call me, a hey, you know, jerk off, fuck stick, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's true. <laughs> What's that's up, guys? Right. That's all right. Uh, I'm, I'm good. I, I really always uh, enjoyed the uh, kind of, uh, um, you know, atmosphere that we always had, which was always lighthearted, but always kind of focused on being critical of uh, each other's uh, faults in training. So, you know, all this kind of uh, name calling was always a welcome addition to inspire. You know? Yeah, I remember the guys used to tell me, um, they would call me or email me, are you going to be critical of, of Martin uh, today at the workout? And I would be like, why? And they're like, well, we need to block out five or six hours for this training <laughs> session. You know, I'm like, yeah, you know, but <laughs> no, it was a good little group that we had. Hardcore, uh, dedicated, but you're right. It was, you know, it was hard training, but it was fun as well. I mean, as best as it could be. But when we were on the mat, that wasn't fun. That was boom, hard. But in between was the fun stuff. Yeah, to your point, we only had limited time, right? We we all had full-time jobs. Nobody was going to do this for a living, really. And uh, it was kind of important that we focus on things that seem to have the most benefit. And I think we've talked about that before. You you tended to highlight things that we should work on, like even as far as conditioning and weightlifting goes. But I was going to ask you, you know, there was like other things that we never did that some martial arts do, like, um, you know, they condition different body parts. Like I remember hearing about them punching sand and that might've been like in one of those Mr. Miyagi movies where they would be punching like wooden boards to toughen up their knuckles or punching into sand or, you know, that kind of stuff. Do you think there is, other things that do these things make sense in some capacity? Are they useful? What what are some of the benefits? Or is it just like mystifying? Yeah, well, well, my opinion is some of that is cultural. Also, some of it is um, what not what you know time frame related. Like, okay, so punching a makiwara board. Well, we have heavy bags for that. Okay, remember when this was all developed. Japan back then, let's, I'll just use Japan or China, you know, they didn't really have professional boxing, so to speak, right? It came later. I mean, especially with Japan. And there, by the way, there were some sensational um, Japanese fighters, lighter weight fighters, world champions, as a matter of fact. But um, 
So the premise is the same, all right? So it would kind of be akin to uh, Germans who eat their noodles in a certain way and Italians who eat their noodles, their pasta noodles are a bit different, but they're still noodles, but they're different. Um, There is some mystic. Okay, there shouldn't be any mysticism to it, but I think some schools in the past especially added that mystical uh, uh, edge to it to kind of make it, you know, a bit more romantic, a bit more, you know, Hollywoodish, I guess you'd say. Um, as far as going into the sand, I don't know if you, I never probably had you guys do that, but I used to do that just to toughen up my fingertips. But also you could just do that by pounding on wood. You know, jet, I knew a guy who lived the next street over. He was a m- much older. He would, he was like older than my mother, let's say my mom's age, but a little younger than my grandparents' age, right? So probably a Korea guy. But he actually showed me some uh, uh, military stuff he learned in the military, martial arts. But he had these big, thick fingers, and he used to slam them like this on the railing, the wooden railing of our porch. I'm like, Mr. Um, Mr. Jennings. And I'm like, Mr. Jennings, God damn. I mean, he was going full bore. <laughs> So imagine that getting hit, you know, getting the, you know, into the throat and in that's going to hurt. That's, that's going to be an issue. So um, I had a sand. We just happened to have bags of sand at the house that um, my grandfather every winter would get sand and throw it in the trunk of the car to weight the rear end down because Cleveland, we used to get terrible snow and ice. So, all right, so I got a bucket. I put sand in the bucket and just, you know, started trying to do that. Um, I think I actually started doing it with rock salt because we had rock salt, and I started doing it with rock salt and then um, then sand. So there is benefit to that, but I would take all the mysticism out of it. It's just another form of conditioning. Um yeah, but there's a lot of stuff that, you know, you can't cover it all. Like you said, uh, Martin, we had limited limited time. And you guys were coming to the gym three, four times or, you know, three or four times a week at least. So it wasn't like you had a lot of off days, you know. Uh, right. So other than like the finger conditioning, I, I remember the, the things that we did. We did a lot of neck conditioning, right? Like yeah. um, being able to fight the choke after it's been sunk at different levels, right? Like, no, of course, number one is you don't want to get choked. But number two, like, if it's already partially in, uh, we would do stuff that would help you resist it and buy you, you know, extra seconds to try to fight fight out of it. Um, We also, I remember we also did some stuff with um, rollers to do conditioning for like Achilles locks, some some leg lock type stuff. Yep. Um, Anything else you can remember that would have been useful? Like we we should have done, but we just never did. We did the shin conditioning too with the rollers rolling it, or at least I told you guys to do. <clears throat> excuse me, to do it on all different sides, you know, of your shins to just kind of desensitize them a little bit. Um, you guys weren't really as the weightlifting. That was I was more the weightlifter than you guys. Uh, although Brian started to to get into it and started, you know, uh, lifting. Um, but I thought that your conditioning overall 
your cardiovascular, your anaerobic and aerobic capacity was world-class. I mean, there's just no question about it. I mean, the lucky 13 shows that. And that stuff was what the main thing was that I wanted you guys to do. Um, and yeah, the, the neck conditioning is really important. Excuse me here. I'm, I got a, I've been having a sinus infection, so it's been, um, draining, uh, the, uh, and the, and the, you know, submission resistance kind of stuff. But I think one of the biggest problems that we had, especially back in the nineties and early, even early two thousands were, was when the new people would come through and, I mean, I'm not going to, there's probably some that actually wanted to learn how to fight, but most of them were all just wanting to know sports stuff. So I couldn't show a lot of techniques or things, how to deal with certain things, because universally they were banned, you know, um, especially in in grappling kind of matches. Um, And I started to really lose interest in coaching because I I couldn't teach what I want to teach. But, yeah, there's always more stuff to do, more stuff to practice. I just thought, right or wrong, and I could have been wrong in my approach, I wanted to teach you guys what I thought was the most important stuff, the stuff that you cannot live without. Um, and some of the other stuff I thought was more like having a nice dessert after, after a good meal. I wanted to supply you guys with the good meal. Right. And, um, you know, I also remember that some of the stuff that we did, even, even like the amateur wrestling oriented stuff, it also involved some level of roughness to it that I can't imagine it being effectively taught without. Like, you know, being able to effectively use somebody's nose as leverage to move their head, right? Like, this is kind of like a Bruce Lee thing, but he had an amateur background, but he said that this is like, it's there, right? Like it's a, it's a natural lever. So being able to kind of like manipulate your hands on somebody's face in order to get a reaction and move their head for an amateur wrestling uh, move was kind of part of the package. You you weren't able to separate it out. No. And, and, and I I see like, you know, my, my kids take martial arts classes and they don't have them doing that yet. And I, I get it, you know, they're kids, but, but I wonder if that gets phased in. Uh, and it should, because otherwise you're kind of making an artificial division between what really would happen and, and how you're teaching it. Well, I can't speak <clears throat> to their school or really any school. I mean, it depends on the school. In my experience, most schools, again, now I, I'm, I'm not talking about like right now, today, but in, in my experience, the people that I've trained, and I think Joe can back me up on this, that come from different schools, they did not learn it that way. Okay, and that and they're very hesitant now to get ripped, you know, to, you know, rip out and, you know, do this. They're not used to that. Now, on that note, I I do want to add in because I think this is the perfect time for me to bring this up because of Martin. And we'll get to the what happened the other day with the video you sent me. But I've been on a binge the last couple of days because I'm, you know, here watching Street Fight and just all sorts of, you know, Haku, the wrestlers video you know, interviews and everything. Just stuff along those lines. And on a couple of the videos that I've watched, and I don't recall now because I've watched so many of them over the last two, three days, um, when they talk about biting and, you know, eye gouging and, well, you know, I can do that too. You know, that's, that seems to be the biggest thing, right? Well, if the, if the one guy can do it, I can do it. 
And really, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, we're not just talking about indiscriminately biting somebody's nose or poking their eyes out. Um, you have to earn your way to that position to be able to get those things. You have to be able to control the opponent. Um, so he cannot counter you as well. It's just not a bunch of like wild dogs going after each other like that. Um, there's truly a science to it. And that piggybacks off of what you're saying. When we're using the note, let's say the nose to turn the face, I'm not attacking the nose so much. I mean, I, I, I am, but I'm not just indiscriminately attacking the nose. I'm using it as a lever, as a handle, you know, to uh, lead into something else, okay? So these stories about Meng or Haku, you know, biting a guy's nose or this or that, I, again, I don't know what's true, what's, what's not true. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain the guy was a badass. Um, but it was all of Meng's or Haku's attributes that allowed him to get into a position anyhow um, to do it. Now, the the trick is uh, doing it against really skilled and professional trained fighters, which is what we were all about. We had a lot of amateur and professional fighters come through our gym. And so, you know, you know firsthand the, what you can do against a pro fighter. Um, just like a boxer, a professional boxer could be the, could be like awesome, but there's so much that a professional boxer's not aware of, let's say, right? Wrestling or defending against kicks. I saw some videos of boxers versus kickboxers and everything. Um, the same holds true. Even if you're an MMA guy, there are going to be techniques that you're just not familiar with. That if the guy is really pretty good, let's say he's got 90% of your skill ability, the other things that he's not used to can put the 90%er over the top. Okay. So in the case of a boxer, a boxer has 100% advantage striking over, let's say, just a, a wrestler. But the, that wrestler's takedown, ability uh, could, you know, negate the strikes and put him over the top of the, of the boxer. I'm just saying, you know, on paper, Um, obviously there's more, more things to it. So um, getting about the kid thing, your, your children are young. Well, all I know is that this stuff was introduced to me when I was 13 years old. I would assume if I started training when I was 10, I would have been introduced to this stuff when I was 10. Okay. I, I don't, so I don't think that the, you know, maybe if the kid is four or five years old, I don't, I don't even know. I, I really believe that this should be taught from the get go because it makes a big difference in my opinion. It's gotta be tricky though. Like in a, in a, in a big school, especially in like in modern society where, like parents would probably be upset if their kid's face got messed up, you know, like there's, there's the type of training that you guys, that you guys did at the tool and die, or like you do with Rod Vaughn. It's, it's the way you should be trained as a fighter, no doubt. But I, I think the people willing to do that to willing to have that done to them, 
um, you know, as kind of a minority. Like I think, because we've even had guys who are very skilled trained fighters who just say, yeah, like hold off on that stuff. You know, like we just want to yeah. do the, uh, so it's, it's like a weird, like, almost has to be like a, i mean when you were 13 you really didn't have a choice of saying hey i don't want it the, the guy just this is what we're doing you know like he put you into the you know into the into the deep end of the pool so to speak and you you, you know and you went along with it but like i think for like for adults who are training i think you have to have training partners you got to kind of talk it through with them saying hey i, I want to work this like let's do it this way you know and obviously you've got to be careful with it too because you're I think upping the risks a little bit for injury. And so you have to trust a partner that they're not going to, you know, um, you know, I was just thinking about this when we were kind of talking about this, there was a guy who came out of town for one of the workshops we did a big guy, real, really nice guy, but he was kind of new to, I don't know. I'm not going to mention names, but because he was new, he almost kind of didn't. My impression was that he didn't trust the moves a lot. And so he would put them on full power very early on and are you talking about relatively recently right yes yeah i know what you're talking about okay and uh yeah and as i said it wasn't malicious on his part he just did not have the experience of working with training actually putting these things on a body and realizing how quickly they become dangerous and so we had to like talk to him a little bit and kind of like whoa slow down here we got to be careful with each other you know you're we're cranking on each other's necks we're you know whatever and so, I mean, to my point of, you know, maybe not out of the gate with your training partners, like if you were to approach it nowadays with a new group of guys, I would imagine you have to kind of get a feel for like, well, are these guys going to be in control? Are they just going to tear each other up without, you know, like, cause you, and in some ways I would think some of those things you could um, set your training back if you damage each other too much. Like there's, you want it as part of your education, you want it integrated, but you have to do it in a, you know, you have to have it with people you trust to be able to put this stuff on. I it's not a new concept because yeah, I can agree, but that's always existed. Like in a boxing gym. Okay. You, you have to trust that when you're sparring light sparring and light means light, uh, that the guy just doesn't go berserk and, you know, starts wailing on you. Okay. Um, this, these are things that can happen. Um, the, the, the coach only has so much that they can do. I don't care who this, what the style is. Um, I can't get, or the coach, who, whoever he or she may be, can't get into the trainee's mind. But you, you, you kind of have to you, – you, I've thrown a couple people out of the gym, okay? I think I've only thrown – well, I can think of two right now because they were not following – protocol okay um but i was easily able to see it because it was just in one instance it was just him and the other guy and i was watching them spar and you know he was given a warning and then he did it again i said you're gone um goodbye but i think a lot of it has to come down to the students if the students don't feel comfortable or they're afraid uh, or the training's too hard or too rough, then you got to shake their hands and, and wish them the best. Say good luck, you know, keep in touch. But you know, this this training's not for you. Um, otherwise, you're 
you being the teacher um, are bastardizing your, your art form and, and, and watering it down to the point where it's, it's not even recognizable any longer. And I fell victim to that. I was getting to that back in the 90s where there are people coming in. I Tony, I can't use this move. I can't use that move. Can't do it this way. Can't do it that way. Um, and, yeah, I, some, I capitulated. Okay, I'll water it down. And that, that was a mistake on my part. It was, you know, it just was a mistake. And I won't do that anymore. I, I, I just won't. You know, um, don't come to train with me. If you're expecting me to completely change shit for your rules, I don't know your rules. Every different organization has a different set of rules. Um, and that's why I had an email last night from a gentleman who's, who's, you know, part of the Tri-C program and basically talking about self-defense and stuff. And I'm like, that's what I normally train. I teach more like self-defense oriented stuff um, anymore because that's what I like. And that's what's missing, I think. Uh, in the overall picture, because there are some fine MMA schools around the country. Obviously, there's great wrestling programs. There's great boxing gyms. So, you know, I put all of that together, but more or less for the self-defense aspect of it, the rough stuff, uh, that's what I want to do. Um, but I hear you, Joe, and I, I hear you too, Martin. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tightrope that you have to walk. You know, you can't please everyone. So if we brought in an up-and-coming boxing champion, he's not going to want to spend an hour learning takedowns, okay? He wants to box. So if I said you got to spend an hour working takedowns every day you're here, he'll be like, that's not for me. I'm going to another gym. That's just the approach. That's almost the attitude I think you have to take. Yeah, I think the optics of some of the stuff that you're teaching are so rough for some people that it's almost impossible for a commercial gym to adopt that kind of a training uh, paradigm across the board. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, it looks really bad, but having said that, like nobody ever got injured during the, you know, five years that uh, I had consistent contact with this kind of stuff. And I, I do remember other like professional fighters telling you specifically to like tone things down. They can't keep up. It's too much for them. They want to take it easy. Yeah, uh, but but you also don't know what phase of their um, uh, you know training regimen they were in. You know, they might have been you know a few short weeks before a fight, and, and some of them were, and they just didn't want to you know get an accidental injury. They were too scared of like taking it up a notch and and maybe risking their readiness. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I get that a hundred percent across the board. I get that, but yeah, it is a culture shock, you know, to some, um, and even those that had maybe watched my ripping video or, or any video of mine where I may show a little bit of what looks like rough stuff. Um, let's call it that, I guess. I don't, how can I put it? There, There's a, there's, okay. It hurts a hell of a lot more than it looks like it hurts. Okay. That's all I'm saying. And you know that because you guys have been on the receiving end. So you can watch it on video and say, well, I, you know, that's not, I don't get it. That's that doesn't look that bad. And then you might even practice it with each other if you're watching a video and like, okay, yeah, well, I can handle that. But then when you come to my gym and I actually put it on you, not like with force, but just with the body and the the slight little angles and the different things, then you're like, oh shit, man, wait, wait a minute, this ain't what I thought it was. Okay, this is a little too much. Kind of like spicy food, you know? (laughs) Oh my god, that's a little too hot for me. 
But, you know, the thing is, there's a difference, and we've talked about this in the past, between being in pain and being injured. Now, I want the training to be painful, but I don't want the training to be injurious. I don't want anybody to get injured. And let's be, again, very blank, uh, point blank about it. Um, there are gyms around the, around the world where people do get injured, okay? It, sometimes it's inevitable. Um, but we knock would have been relatively lucky, you know, with that, but the pain, uh, yeah, it's a whole nother, uh, it's a whole nother level of stuff, you know, and, and I've met a couple of guys, Andre Verdun was one of them who, when he came out here, you know, he wanted to get ripped up. He just like, boom, boom, boom. Then, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, out of all the, I've trained thousands through the years. This guy had the highest pain tolerance of anybody I've ever encountered. Okay, sober and whatever you want to say it, the guy had a he had a high level of or has a high pain tolerance, you know. Um, so that's great, but it also shows you that even if the guy has a high pain tolerance, he's going to feel something. Okay, now I want to get into this a minute. All of us, if we're at a picnic or or anything like that, right? Let's say a fly or a mosquito lands on you. Well, you're not going to go, you're not going to have a stroke. You're not going to pass out from pain, but it's an annoyance, right? So you're going to wipe it off your face, this or that. Uh, That's the beauty of, that's the beauty of what I teach or what I do or how I fight. So, and I've said this a million times, 98% of the time, the rip isn't what I, isn't, I don't rip you to end the fight because of the rip. I rip to create either an opening or, uh, you know, something else that is going to be the finish. So even in the case of a guy like Andre, who has t- terrific pain tolerance, he's still going to react. That's all I care about. It's getting that reaction so I can get the submission or, you know, the, the finish. Um, and let's backtrack to the Haku and budding and ripping off ears and all that. Uh, if, and this is not about Haku personally, because I'd love to meet the guy. I, I, that's one of the things I want to do in my life. There's not a lot of people left that I want to meet. He's one of them. Um, but for, for people who sit there and say, well, I can bite too, it's not the biting itself, in and of itself. It's what it leads to. And that's why if you don't practice it, you're – you're really gambling there because like I said, you can look at Tyson when he bit Holyfield's ear, Holyfield didn't collapse on the ground. Oh, call nine one one. He jumped. He's like bitching because it was a rule break, but he kept on fighting. Okay. So the, the biting or the gouging or the ripping is a means to an end. It should in my, this is my philosophy. It isn't in it in and of itself, the end. And if it happens to be the end, the guy just, you, you took his spirit away, great, cool, <laughs> right? So that's why now getting, now I'm jumping around, but now getting back to Joe, that's why I think it's so imperative to implement this, this way of fighting or training in your, from the very earliest as possible. Maybe not the first day, but you got to get conditioned. But, you know, within the first, couple of months, two, three months, you should really be in it. Uh, but again, that's my take on it, all right? 
because that's pretty much how it, it happened with me. The first several months was conditioning, which is with Rodvon, with learning to condition, getting ready for all of this. And then, then it's on. <laughs> okay. Um, but everybody else has their own opinion too. They, they may look at, at it in a completely, you know, uh, a different thing, but let's talk about how Haku now again, this is because, you know, how my mind works. I've been watching interviews about him. One of the things everybody kept saying about Haku was, you know, when he, when he pops his cork, he's, you know, impervious to stuff, all right? He goes like controlled fury. And that's what this training that I do, that's what this helps you develop. The pain, you become so desensitized that shit's not just really not going to hurt you if you keep it going. Okay, now I'm not talking about if, if you break your neck or something, you, you may not be able to move. But there's a whole, it's a whole different world where when a guy does things to you outside of like a complete KO, um, and you're impervious to it, you walk right through that shit, okay? Um, not only does it deflate the opponent's ego and create fear in that person because he's like, this guy's unstoppable. But, you know, it, it gives you another thing that you don't have to be distracted by because you're used to this. So there's a, lot, there's a lot of benefits to learning how to fight the way that I fight or the way that I teach, um, both physiologically and, and physically. But, you know, again, other people may have a different take on it, and that's, that's, that's a great thing. You know, listen to other people's points of view. Don't just take my word for it. Look at somebody else's point of view. I was thinking too that like kind of the ethic of, you know, you, you fight the way you train, you know, yeah. like when, when you're, and they like actually in the EMT school, I'm trying to think if I can remember the quote, but they have it up on the, it's that it's not that you rise to the occasion is that you fall back to your training. Is this, 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 the kind of cliche thing they say to keep us, you know, <coughs> working on our skills and stuff. And, and I kind of think, to your point is that, you know, if this is how you want to fight, you know, in, in a, in a life or death situation, you have to spend the appropriate, that has to be the majority of your time. It has to be like in your muscle memory or however you want to say it, because uh, yeah, like I think a lot of training people do just obviously, because they're trying to take care, whatever their motivation, whether they're trying to take care of their training partner, or they don't want to do it live is that, they're just putting countless of hours and then they're missing opportunities. Basically they're training their brain not to see, you know, that aspect of the game, which, you know, um, you know, is important. And it's, it's, it's interesting to me too. And it, just how different the grappling game is once you integrate that stuff in, you know, and it's a shame that there aren't more people doing it. Cause I'd love to see how that would evolve and you're seeing high level guys do that because, you know, now when you don't have that, into the, the grappling aspect of the fight, you know, a ground confrontation can take a long time to, you know, cause someone can lock, lock their hands up or, or turtle up or, or do whatever, you know, they can prevent you from, you know, you know, uh, you have to work at getting, you know, um, things that might be easier to get because there's generally, they may pro like protect their various limbs or whatnot, cause they know about the obvious attacks, but if they're sitting there getting torn up, they're not going to sit there and just lock up. You're forcing them to have to do something. And so um, and I was kind of, so I'm kind of making a statement, but then I was kind of leading me into a question with you 
when you would go live with Radvan, like it seems when you're when you're grappling in this kind of fashion that once someone has an advantage on the other person, positionally or however in control, it's going to be a kind of a quick path. Like you're taking a shorter path to ending the fight. It seems like a more efficient. You're a lot more vulnerable. And so when you work with Radvan, where the I imagine. The, things came to a, a resolution relatively quickly one way or the other for you guys like obviously initially he was all dominating everything but i know as time went on yeah. you eventually began to you know kind of finally rise to the skill set you needed but i still imagine when you're full on doing you know the ripping version of catch you come to a resolution fairly quickly in, in a grappling scenario is that accurate or is that and you should know that yes because maybe you weren't back there back then but there was that thing with me about you should be able to beat a guy <clears throat> in under 60 seconds you know um granted i'm not talking about a guy who was running away from you and all of that and i, I had that thing where i was just i would wrestle guy after guy after guy and t- tap them out in under a minute um <clears throat> and and that was not with strikes rips not strikes and sometimes not even ripping it depended on the person you know sometimes you didn't even have to rip um but yes, it 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 came to a, uh, a a a good conclusion quick quickly, okay, um, and that was part of the training because you don't need an extended uh, uh, rolling session per se. I mean, unless you're working strictly on your conditioning or something specifically. But when you're looking for a finish. Um, set yourself a time limit. Now, it doesn't have to be one minute. It could be two or three. Uh, but you don't want this to be, you know, this is kind of like the inverse of Gracie, or at least the original Gracie Jiu-Jitsu stuff, where, you know, they would go hours. There's something wrong there, okay? Um, in my opinion, this should not take that long, okay? Um, you're not building a, you know, a pyramid over here. You're just trying to end a match. So, uh and then you work on your deficiencies. If it took you longer than you wanted it to, you need to analyze that. And especially nowadays where you can film everything, right? You can, we never had that option back then. You can review and say, oh man, I missed this. I didn't even see this. Okay. Um, in an adrenaline situation, people tend to get tunnel vision. Okay. And you don't see the bigger picture. And we're going to talk about this later. If you guys can remind me about angles and all that in a fight. But you, you want to be able to see things. And the way I taught in last week's guest, um, Justin was saying, my whole body's a weapon, your whole body's a target. I think that's the biggest thing, one of the biggest things that's lacking. People don't look at it that way generally. Now, again, I, I'm just saying generally. There's obviously a, a, a exceptions. But even based on the videos that I've watched over the last couple of days, I've seen high-level guys amazingly skilled guys, guys that can do things that you only wish you could do. And yet they're missing opportunities because again, it's, it's kind of like a ton of a tunnel vision thing. Um, missing attacks, let's say on the legs or cranking the head, you know, properly or what, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, there, there's, I, I think there needs to be uh, a change and the philosophy of fighting, the strategy of fighting, I guess, would be more uh, appropriate. Um, but 
that change is not going to come because of me because I've been, you know, I'm at the tail end of my life here. So I've been preaching this stuff for 20, 25 years. And it, you know, um, while guys have gotten probably more skillful than they were, they're still fighting in the same genre, I guess. I, I the, They're using the same approach, okay, um, and not so much thinking outside of the box. Again, this is not every human being. I haven't seen every every human being, but just from the names, the bigger names that I've watched, um, I think that kind of holds true. I think we also talked about this before, is that a lot of the sporting rules drive the way people fight. And unfortunately, like I perceive it as a regression, like a lot of the stuff that UFC has eliminated from their, um, because of the rules they set, used to be kind of interesting to me. Like they don't allow strikes to uh, the head of a downed opponent, like knee strikes. So what you would see, like you can go back 20 years, this is all on old pay-per-views, people would utilize the north-south position a lot, either to land strikes or to execute some grappling techniques from there, right? Like there is plenty of submissions from there. You can be a really heavy rider from that position. It used to be like a good place to be. Now, hardly anybody goes there except like in a transitional sense because they're not allowed to strike from there in any meaningful way. So they just gravitate towards the other positions and that cuts out like a quarter of things that could be done on the ground. Like I, I used to enjoy that and now I don't even see it. And I don't think anybody practices it because there is no payoff. You can't use that. I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly uh, the case. And um, while I was watching all these different matches and, and, and things, um, that was one of the things that struck me too. What, well, what are the rules? So, I ended up going back in time and watching older clips from the nineties where I knew the, the rules were a little more liberal and yeah, there was, they were still missing. Some guys were still missing all of this, but yeah, you're right. The rules make a big, uh, because it, you, you, you know, these guys now are really doing it for a li- Many are doing it for a living. Right. And even the guys who are in the amateur matches, many of them are doing the amateur matches as a stepping stone to turning pro. So the rules have to be, the amateur match rules have to pretty much mirror the big league rules. Um, And that's great. So, you know, they're learning how to win within the rules, within maybe a more limited uh, uh, range factor. And they're becoming very, very skilled at what they're doing, very subtle, a lot of different things. Um, But, yeah, there's a bigger picture that's, you know, that's kind of being missed. that, but that's my opinion. Now, there's, there may be others that will say, well, that, you know, that the way you old-timers like it was kind of lame and boring, and, and it, it, it very well may have been. I, but, the, again, you, you, can, you can get around that by setting certain time limits or slight modifications to the rules. But, yeah, in, my, in the last couple of two, three days that I've been watching uh, these things, um, I saw one guy. Now, I don't want to mention his name. I don't want to mention names because I don't want people to, you know, it's the Internet, and people will take sound bites, clips, little things, and it distort it. But I saw one guy. Matter of fact, I watched a, a couple of his matches last night. From This is from the 90s. He's still active, but he's 
you know, older and he doesn't do this anymore. Um, and I'm like, yeah, because I'd always heard of him. I knew him. I saw him back in the day, but now I saw more stuff. Very, very good. Okay. Absolutely. He had a, at times similar to me, right? Moving all over the place on the ground and not like just being, you know, there moving all over the place. And a couple of times I saw him put his knee on the guy's head or face. And, uh, but because I have a trained eye, I can tell you that those were work matches. Okay. They're in Japan. They did stiff works. Okay. Like, man, they're hitting, they're hitting, they're hitting, you know, but it was, it's still a work. Uh, and, and the reason I'm not mentioning his name, and by the way, I, I, I'm i giving a super-duper trooper-crooper thumbs up to this guy. And that's why I won't mention his name, because what I'm about to say is going to kind of be derogatory towards his opponents, because they weren't all that skilled. Uh, so, I mean, they weren't like fish, but they weren't that skilled. I'm sorry. Um, but that no, but again, the guy that I'm talking about, the, the thumbs up guy, he moved very, very well. Um, and, but again, in, in my opinion, those will work matches. Now, if they weren't works, then I, I kind of have to knock him down a few pegs because he did some things strategically that were, um, not, not wise. And he did things that he could have taken it a little bit further. And he didn't. But again, I'm basing that on the fact that it was a work, um, albeit a very stiff work. And I think if we had more of those kind of matches, all right, it would probably increase the popularity. Uh, but there were a lot of works back there, back then that people probably to this day still think were shoot matches. Um, and they probably weren't. I mean, at least based on what I was watching yesterday, last in the afternoon and evening, you can tell. That was one of the things, too, that Rod Von kind of taught me when I was a kid, and we've mentioned this before, how to spot a working hold versus a, a real hook, okay? And um, and he kind of basically told me none of these guys are shooters. I mean, they're not hookers. He didn't use that term, but you know, these guys aren't really, really real good. Mentioning old names of guys who were who are now like dead, like guys from way in the past. Um, they were shown working holds, and you know, there's there's ways of you know. He told me there was ways of ways of spotting them um so that's first and foremost what i look for and then secondly i look for um how hard is the the guy working for this submission okay and that's the tricky part because some guys are going to work hard for a submission and they could be this could be completely legit but then there's other guys who are working hard for the submission because they're just working okay they're just trying to make it exciting watching the opponent struggle and running out the clock to give the people in the stands that, that paid money 
uh, their money's worth, okay? Because you're not going to charge $40, $50 a ticket if you have 10 guys on the fight, 10 matches on the fight card and every, every match ends in 30 to 45 seconds. Well, nobody, you know, that's, nobody's going to want to pay money for that. Okay. Um, And conversely, the arenas or the, wherever the venue is, you know, you rent that out, you know, normally you have a time limit, right? And so you kind of have to balance it all out somehow or another and get these matches in, in a certain time. So there is a business side to it, I guess is what I'm getting at. And I never was affiliated with any of that. I, I, I never did business, but you know, Stanley in the old days kind of told me all about, you know, try to educate me a little bit about that because he was in the business, you know? Um, and even when I get, you know, Luthez, same thing. We used to have these, these talks, these, discuss, this, these discussions about things. Um, and I remember some of the stories that Lou told me, you know, how he was actually misled on certain things. Um, so, but I guess to wrap up my little soliloquy here, uh, I think if we had, even if they were work matches, if they were that hard shoot style, or I don't want to call it shoot style, but the more like the way, like, like the way that I fight, um, I, I think it would help develop a, a better crop of fighters and especially on the ground, you know, specifically on the ground. Yeah. I, I think, I think the, the rule changes have really like neutered some of the arsenal that was available to, to people. And <coughs> consequently, like I find it more boring. Maybe like you said, other people find it more exciting and there's a business side to it. Right. Cause like right now they have it worked out to where, you know, 15-minute fight is about all you're really going to get out of these guys. And, you know, it may be exciting in that amount of time. But you don't have these, like, colossal monstrosities like the famous, like, Dan Severn fight that took hours and they ran out of pay-per-view time. And, uh, you know, consequently, these the, the converse side of it, like you mentioned, like these, like, sub-minute fights that just... <laughs> went too quick for everybody. Uh, but I was going to ask you, like, from what you remember, um, you know, talking to Lou and, um, you know, the, the business side of things, and, and I think you've mentioned before that you, you might have had some um, encounters with Phyllis Lee. Did, did they focus on bringing people that were exciting or, like, good fighters? What was the focus back then? Making like, money. Making now, money. Let, let, me, let, let me just preface this for, for people who may be watching or listening. I never, I mean, I did a seminar for Pancrase uh, with, with, you know, Jason Gatsy was a participant and I uh, met the uh, president of Pancrase and, and his uh, Mika Haneishi. I don't remember exactly what her role was in this, um, but it was all about making money. So uh, for them, obviously, you know, uh, it's a business. I don't now let's get off of the pancreas thing in general, because Lou and I never talked about pancreas. Um, it was more or less, I mean, Lou had a dream of through me rebuilding catch wrestling and getting all this. And we had ideas, we had plans. And then unfortunately I got sick. Lou, Lou passed away. Uh, it, it never came to fruition because Lou was trying to get me over in Japan. 
um, to at least coach, if nothing else. Um, but yeah, it, it was more or less about getting a, a good combination of looks and ability. You get a guy like Ken Shamrock, man, the guy, he looked so good. He, he should have been starring in action movies, you know, um, and he had a, excuse me, a very, uh, you know, good, uh, you know, level of athleticism, right? Um, so, so there was a balance there. So you had this, you know, great looking guy that, you know, knew his shit, um, and and so you're you're able to cater if you had a bunch of people similar now you can you can set up an organization that will work to their benefit okay let me go let, give me a second here because i'm going to step in here like in major league baseball when you had great hitters like babe ruth or later on mickey mantle they literally would pitch the outfield wall, the home run distance, to uh, to make them hit more home runs, okay, to, to augment their, their uh, skills. And that's the same thing with these fight organizations. So let's say you have the greatest grappler that ever lived, okay, by far. Well, you're not going to, you know, and you got 10 of them, right? They're like awesome. Well, you're not going to build an organization that's going to be focusing, their focus is going to be on punching and kicking, all right? Because now your 10 greatest grapplers in the world, they're they're going to look like morons, right? Because they can't strike and kick. So you're going to have to kind of build around your stable of fighters and develop the rules that are going to bring out the best in them. That's That's the business end of it. And that's something that I have zero experience with. Maybe we can get an old-time pro wrestler on here uh, that that could really um, educate people on on that uh, subject matter. But um, yeah, I, it, my opinion, I don't find a lot of the. This has got nothing to do with the fighters currently. They're fantastic, and you want probably most of them on your side in, in a fight, but I don't, I don't find the, I don't find it exciting to watch. Um, I, I'd re- honestly, I'd, re- I'd rather watch a, a, a work stiff work uh, where you're getting a variety of techniques uh, demonstrated as long as they're, you know, looking good doing it, you know, um, which which can be tricky too, because a lot of these guys, like these matches that I was that I was just watching, they weren't really great strikers, um, and they're and the wrestling on the mat, with the exception of that one guy, the wrestling on the mat was pretty loose, and they weren't really they were still clumsy kind of with the submissions back then. They weren't razor sharp, but a lot of these guys came from a. I mean, they learned quickly, but they came from a a. Tr- a, a training environment that before that was completely show, you know, um, where they, 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 they really probably weren't practicing, you know, putting these holds on uh, legitimately because there was really no need to do it. 
And uh, so at this point, like I feel the center of all the gravity and, and combat sports is in the US, right? Like all these attempts to start up these kinds of promotions in Japan have pretty much faltered by now. And I think we're at a point where it's very legit. There isn't any really talk of worked fights right now, but it is kind of boring. Like this is at least to, like you know, I was saying to me, it's, it's not as exciting as it used to be because there's a fewer opportunities for somebody to pull off like a spectacular up, upset or a spectacular technique. That's why, you know, you and I talk about this, like I, I've gravitated towards boxing, watching a lot more boxing because the rules there have been very consistent for a very long time. My, minor changes here and there, but um, I feel like um, there is more opportunity for uh, truly talented people to, you know, show off their skill set because the rules are not really pushing them in one way or the other, or at least they haven't in a, in a long time. It's been pretty much set in stone. Well, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now, again, from the fights may not be works, all right? Um, but again, based on some of the people that I've trained that are or were in that in that world, um, there are hoops you have to go through to make it to the big show. And some of these guys will not go through that, that hoop, okay, because it would put them in a position <clears> – <throat> They don't want to be in, okay? Um, well, let's take a Tank Abbott, for example. Now, this, now, I don't know Tank, so this, I'm just going to use a guy like him, for example. Brawler type, you know, heavy hitter, you know, did some junior college uh, wrestling or, or, you know, what, what have you. Um, I don't know if a guy like him could get into the UFC or one of these uh, events anymore. He, I mean, I'm going to tell you something. Your your stand up skills, and this is everybody. This is not any. I'm not picking on one guy in particular, because um, the fights all start standing. That is where you're vulnerable. Okay, you meaning everyone. Okay, and a guy with heavy hands that can throw a blast, you know, and maybe just put you on Queer Street, um, can do a lot of damage. You there's an expression in boxing, as you know, uh, Martin. Uh, He's got a slugger's chance. He's got a puncher's chance. Uh, again, I don't know the business that well, but I don't see guys like that getting an opportunity to um, to do it. You know, there's a pecking order. There's 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 there was a boxer. I wish I knew his name. This is about 10, 12 years ago, who was either an, a world champ or right there <clears throat> boxing. And I believe he was either a national champ or an NCAA All-American wrestler. He had wicked wrestling skills. And he wanted in to the UFC, and he never got in. And, and right there, this, um, that was a red flag to me. Uh, and, and, again, that was years ago. That was, Dana White was still there. I mean, this was not like our Davies time. It was Dana White's time. And if I'm wrong about this, I apologize, but I wish I could remember his name. Um, he wanted in, and he didn't get in. So th these are just things I guess you have to think about. Doesn't mean that matches are worked, 
But I, I think sometimes people can be handpicked, right? Uh, I think didn't Mickey say that in one of the Rocky 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 Three? You know, they were handpicked. Um, I don't know. I don't want to cast dispersions, but my whole point is there are some legitimate hard asses out there, guys that I know for a fact could really do well with limited training too, you know, like maybe with, you know, because they're, let's say they're great amateur wrestlers or they're whatever. Um, But maybe the road to the big show is just too arduous and they want to put food on the table. And that's something that I should have learned a long time ago. You know, I just didn't care about money. I did. All right. As long as I can pay my rent, I'll keep doing it. Well, big mistake because here I am now almost 60. Now I'm in, I'm in a bad spot. So I highly recommend these people to get an education, get a job. But I know that there are some hard asses and you can't tell me there aren't, aren't tough guys in Iran or Turkey or somewhere else, you know, uh, that, that could probably do pretty damn good. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of speculating about the nature of the business, but it's definitely um, like a recurring theme. You hear about it from other people that are working. Like I, I listen to a lot of boxing stuff. They talk about how there is this concept of signing with a promoter, and then that promoter has a vested interest in this person and consequently tries to bring that career up. But that's to the detriment of, like you said, other people that may be standing on the outside looking in. I guess it's always been the case, especially in boxing. There were fighters. Yeah. That, like that yeah, movie that, Champion. You, you pointed me out to that movie Champion, which was, uh, you know, the Kirk Douglas movie from, yeah. uh, you know, almost 100 years ago. And that's exactly what they were focusing on. Well, and but it's true. You know, there was guys that never, you know, um, <clears throat> you sent me the, the email about Sam Langford, you know, one of the greatest Back then, that era, Jim Johnson era, or Jack Johnson era, Jim Jeffries era, was Sam Langford. He never got a shot, you know, um, because times were different back then. But but that, that you know, that, so that's the business end. And, you know, this is just a podcast. We're just speculating for fun, right? Um, but I know that, well, nowadays the guys are apparently getting paid more money, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the preliminary fighters are getting and, you know, and this and that, and, and everything costs a lot more now, you know, remember when I trained some of these pro fighters, they didn't even pay me. Okay. Um, that's the, that's the kicker. Well, that can't happen anymore. Not just with me, but with anybody, you know, you have an entourage now, you know, you, you got all, you have to have all these training partners in these camps and this, you know, training camps and everything. It costs money, you know, um, so there, there, there has to be a financial gain for you, all right? I mean, not everybody's going to turn out to be a Brock Lesnar and move on to WWE and sign big contracts. Uh, so, but once again, we're, we're focusing on, on the sport. If you really want to win the UFC, then you know that you got to train specifically for the UFC, all right? You got to learn your strikes. Excuse me, you got to have a modicum of wrestling ability, you know, and submission knowledge. And, uh, you know, it's, it can be an arduous task, you know, to get her, to get it done. And then you just have to hope that 
something doesn't happen along the way. You know, like you get manipulated or used in some way or shape or form or some scandal. Uh, and you got to be prepared, be prepared to lose unless you're Khabib, you know, uh, a lot of people win some, lose some, and and that's a tough mentality. I mean, that's that's hard, especially like if you come from like an amateur wrestling background. You know, you're really you're really great. You know, and you may you may accumulate a record of something like I don't know, 112 wins and four losses. Right? You're not going to do that in the UFC. It's not going to happen. Right? You know. Um, so you're coming from an avenue where, you know, you're used to winning, winning, winning 98, 99% of your matches to you're hope you're hoping if you, you can, you can break 50%. Um, I remember years ago doing something like that with, you know, some fighters that were working overseas and they had these tremendous records. And then some of them came over to the UFC all of a sudden they they're not doing so good. I mean, they may win, but they're also losing a lot, you know. Um, and it kind of showed you. Well, of course, those matches overseas were predominantly works. Maybe not every each and every one of them, but you know, um, or just poor quality opposition. Yeah, yeah, that too. You know, um, it it could be a combination of both. You know, uh, but I I I used to be in email correspondence years ago with a former professional wrestler who knew all, knew all this, knew, knew a lot of stuff. And I've lost touch with him because I lost his email address. I haven't heard from him in many years. And I know he was going through health issues, his wife. Um, but he knew a lot of inside dope. Now I wouldn't know if he would be willing to share it if he's still even alive on our podcast, but he certainly shared it with me of, Things that people will go to their grave thinking were shoots, were real. Not just even fights, but just mic skills and stuff that were just works. Okay. Just that's the that's the world. That's that's how it is. And I have a couple personal friends that to this day just can't break down and admit, hey man. It was a work. I know it was a work. I know this because I know their skill level. And I and I know I can see. I'm not stupid. Um, and they can't admit that it was a work. Now, other people on their in their defense, some people don't aren't even in on the work. Okay, especially if they're putting you over. Um, you don't even have to know that it's a work because your opponent's gonna Put, a, put up a good show and lose in the end anyhow. Um, or the ref could be in on it, or the ref and the other guy could be in on it, or just the other guy could be in on it, or you all can be in on it, all right? But sometimes they'll keep up the kayfabe till the very end uh, and, and, and take it to their grave. And... I just wish we had a a person from that world that would be willing to, you know, expose it Uh, because it was, it it was out there. And and to an extent it's, it's still out there. Uh, 
I remember many years ago <clears throat> when I used to have my own internet forum, one of my internet forums, somebody was talking about these guys and, you know, just bragging, 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 bragging. I said, well, send me a tape. That's long. This tell you how long ago it was. It was before DVDs. Send me a videotape. And he did. I emailed him. I said, I got the tape. I'll watch it tonight or something to that effect. And I watched it and I said, these are, these are work matches, okay? It totally works, okay? Um, and if you ever saw a Kung Fu or any sort of martial art demonstration, I've seen demonstrations that were so damn good, so marvelously beautiful and athletic. I could never do it. I, there's no way I could do that. But they couldn't fight, okay? It was all rehearsed. It's all choreographed and practiced and practiced and practiced. And so when you send me a video of somebody who's working, I could say, okay, the guy looks in shape. I could tell that he's got conditioning, let's say, all of those attributes. But you don't know how the guy can shoot. And ironically, one of the guys he ended up, uh, one of the guys that was on the video that he wanted me to watch, ended up apparently having, you know, legit shoot matches. And he didn't do, he didn't do, he didn't do good. Okay. And it kind of makes my point. Um, so, and, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. These guys are good enough to mop the floor with 90% of the people out there. A absolutely. But there is a whole world of difference be between going, going for it. Like we used to go in the gym, we used to go for it. Uh, and then practicing that court, you know, holding back and, your thought processes aren't, aren't correct, and your muscle memory gets kind of messed up because you're just not used to exploding into a move for a finish. Um, and I'm, in a way, thankful that for me personally that I never had it. I never did any of that, um, and it, I don't think I would have been able to do that. I don't not because of any kind of moral thing, but I was so used to. The real thing, it was, it's very hard for me to, to, to hold back. I, 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 work, I work with a guy who was a UFC and a pro wrestler, one of the nicest guys I ever met in my life. And we were just, he, we were talking about getting me into pro wrestling and we were just working a little bit. He showed me actually how to do a, a working punch. I never, I never knew how to do that. So I'm just, he's, we're just in the gym. He just hit me, you know, and I said, and he's, and he's like, no, that's, that's a little too hard. And I thought I was going soft, and I'm not a knockout. I'm not a Mike Tyson, right? So you'd be you'd be surprised. It takes a lot of frigging skill for what these guys do. I don't think I have the, the the ability to even do it. You know, they were so they're so skillful at what they do. They're artists in in the fact that they can make a little good, and 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 even if you get cut and shit, that's no big deal. Boxers have been working th fixing matches and taking dives, and they get hit. But um, it, it was just, you know, it's a whole different world than, than really going for it. Um, and I would have had to learn distance. You know, 
I don't want to be, in, you know, faking it this close because it'll look, you know, I, I have to get the, the distance right and all that to really sell it. Um, and that would have taken a lot, a lot of work. Uh, conversely, though, now there are guys in the pro wrestling world um, that that are, you don't want to cross them, right, in, in a street fight or something. They, they were able to, because they've been doing it so long, they're able to make the, those adjust, adjustments. Maybe I would have been able to as well. I doubt it. I, I wasn't going to try. Um, but when it comes to the submissions, it's the thing. When you practice these loose open holds, uh, you know, you're going to, you're going to struggle uh, if, if you have to, to do them in, in, in the real world if you're not going up against the fish, <laughs> right? Whereas if you do them like we do them, you're going to tap the guy out, boom, like that. It's, it's, once you get that hold on, it's done. Now, you got to get the hold, but once you get the hold, it's over. Um, so for me, since I never was going to enter the pro wrestling world, I'm grateful, very grateful that I learned the way I did learn. And believe me, <clears throat> I watched a lot of videos over the last few days and uh, of all different nationalities and different organizations. And, uh, uh, it kind of just, again, it just reaffirms what I already knew that, you know, there, that, that, um, it's just, you could tell when there works, you could, it's, it's very, it was, you know, it's just, you could tell that it was worse. Um, and the ones that weren't works were you, some of them were sloppy. Now that's not the UFC I'm talking about. I didn't watch, I didn't watch any UFC fights except some nostalgia fights, um, from back in the day. Because uh, you get down that rabbit hole of YouTube videos, and you know you see the shit on the side. Oh, I forgot about this fight. Let me watch it again. I forgot. Um, but hey, these guys are probably happier in their life and what they've accomplished than than, than probably than I am and what I have accomplished. You know, so it's it's just a whole different thing. But um, I'll stick with the reality, and I'll stick with the hard shit that we do. As long as I can, that's, I'm not going to change now. I'm going to be 58 years old in a couple months. I'm not going to change. Yeah. So going, this is another rabbit hole. You can go down. There's a lot of videos on YouTube from, um, you know, how boxers tend to have like a, a also a, a realistic training camp where they go as hard it, and it's really tough, right? Cause they want to go as hard as possible to prepare for their fight, but not so hard that they would, get injured or suffer some kind of a setback that would cause the fight that has a lot of money riding on it to get canceled. So another rabbit hole is you can go to these like pirate uh, tape sessions that got somehow leaked out from, from fighting from, from camps that, uh, you know, have some surprising results or there's like a very famous one where um, David Hay, who was like a British contender during the time of the Klitschko's uh, gets loopy because they're in a, you know, like a, training camp situation and uh somebody just like nails him and the whole fight gets canceled because he ends up with a really bad cut that wouldn't heal but um i guess what i'm trying to get at is that like these uh training camps are very expensive because he you have to pay people of appropriate skill levels they're uh tense because they have to practice hard but not too hard and they have to be realistic because, I mean, the guy's got a real fight coming up. So he wants to prepare in the best way possible. So, you know, to what you were saying earlier before is like, it's kind of a delicate balancing act of all these factors. And 
there's money involved. It's a business. And it's kind of hard to make it all work. Yeah, that's why you have a team. Yeah, it's very hard to make it work. And then again, in the gym, you're working on things, right? You're trying to develop or like augment your skills that you already have and develop uh, increases in your deficiencies. So yeah, you're liable to get clocked or you're liable to get, you know, whatever. uh, If that's what you're, you know, if if you're experimenting. Um, And again, it depends on how far out before the fight that you are. Like part of the thing was some guys would come to me in the, in the past, you know, couple of weeks before their matches. I'm like, I don't want to do, I don't want to teach you anything new. It's going to mess you up. You know, I can't, you got to give me some time here, like lots of time um, to get, to get this skill set to become part of your muscle memory. So I guess it depends on your, uh, the length of your camp. How, how far out are you, are you doing a technical, are you doing a technique camp or are you doing a, a conditioning? Get, let's get ready for the fight camp. Okay. That's there's a big difference between the two of them. So you know if you're if you're out looking for a technique to improve your technique, well you could you could go six months to a year out. All right, now you got plenty of time to to work on those techniques. But if you're getting prepared for a fight, you're not going to start training for the fight a year out because you'll you'll overtrain. You'll be you you won't be peaked. You know it, it's going to get it's different. There's a lot to it. There's a science behind it. Um, and of course, boxers have the most history. Of, of, of doing these camps, right? MMA has just been around, you know, 30 years, let's say. But um, saw an interesting interesting uh, interview with Alan Kowage, a uh, couple interviews with him, several interviews with him. And for those of you who don't know, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he was the first American to medal <clears throat> in the Olympics, judo. He won the bronze in 76. He won several Pan Am gold medals. Um, he wrestled as... Uh, Bad News Brown, Bad News Allen, uh, did a stint in uh, Canada, uh, WWE or WWF, uh, UWFI, uh, you know, New Japan and all of that jazz. He passed away, sadly. Um, And he had mentioned that his judo coach got him into wrestling in Japan. I won't get into the whole story because it's nothing. But the one thing he, he did mention was like, and I, I'm pretty much quoting directly here. He's like, so, you know, they, they wanted me to have, they wanted me to do conditioning issues and, and the conditioning was nothing because I was conditioned already, you know, doing conditioning for the Olympics. He says the pro wrestling conditioning was nothing. Okay. And we'll leave it at that. Um, and I think that is a big tell because pro wrestling, pro wrestling conditioning is going to be completely different then, you know, our kind of conditioning, fight, fight training conditioning, not worse, this is different, right? And I think a lot of guys came with that pro wrestling type of conditioning. And you know that what I teach, well, there's some carryover, squats and things like that. Um, a fighter, a real fighter fighter, you have to train for that explosiveness, okay? Explosion, 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 explosion. That's first and foremost. If you don't have that kind of explosiveness, you're doomed. You're not going to get very far. You may win a couple fights here and there because you're a brute, but you're not going to go far. So um, it was great to hear Alan Collage say that because um, that's how I've trained my whole life, and that's how I've coached my whole life is 
for that explosiveness um, to be able to get it all together. Now, again, if I was a professional wrestler, I wouldn't, you know, depending on the, the market, I probably wouldn't have to, I wouldn't probably train like that. Um, but then again, I would probably already be, you know, in my prime, I would already be in condition. I'd just have to kind of keep that level going. Uh, but yeah, it was very interesting to hear him, uh, to hear him say that. So you're, you're, you know, you're, tr- remember like 20 years ago or whatever it was when we used to watch this stuff together, conditioning was a problem for these guys. A lot of them were gassing out, gassing out, gassing out. Um, I think the guys are, many of them now are, are in, in, in greater condition for, for that. But the style of fighting has changed too. So it's really not an apples-to-apples apples kind of comparison. It was a totally different fight back then than styling, style-wise than it is now. Yeah, I think the conditioning science has gotten like more popular. You know what I mean? Like It, it used to be kind of very niche, but now it's become popularized to where everybody has access to some level of uh, assistance with that. Because you're you're absolutely right. It, those fights were ten minutes max, and these guys were done. Like it was just completely over by that point. And I think now they sometimes go like more like boxers, you know, thirty minutes at a time. Yeah, you don't want to blow out, and that's where I give like pro wrestlers, especially. I don't know the current crop, but you know, back in the day where you're traveling on the road, you know, all the time and cars and shit, you know, and uh, it's 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 hard to stay in shape, you know. Um, and then you're taking those bumps all the time. You're and I know this, not taking bumps, but being an, always in physical pain, you know, that's why a lot of those gentlemen ended up on either painkillers or alcohol or both. Um, you know, it's, you know, it, it, it's one thing to have a fight every five, four months, five months, whatever, uh, two months, three months, as opposed to putting on a show three or four times a week. No, it it is a completely different mental state and a physical. Your your conditioning has to adapt to that. You have to be in a different different place. <laughs> you know, they're rough. Yeah, right. Why uh, choose between alcohol and pain pills when you can have both? And you're on the road and you're not getting tested and you're going to be messed up anyway, right? So, like, I I kind of understand why that lifestyle is such a slippery slope um well i want to touch on that video clip that you sent me um because this whole this whole uh uh podcast today we we were supposed to focus on street fighting and we don't have a script we just kind of well what's the topic going to be and it's my big mouth because because of this video i um i was training martin via uh zoom giving him his boxing conditioning workouts and, and Martin's back to being Martin again, or just, you know, you got to kind of hit this guy over the head with a sledgehammer or something to get him tuckered out. The guy's the energizer bunny. Um, but he was mentioning that it was some old time boxer and it was a street fight. They, they, they saw him. He was already broken up and, you know, shot, but somebody tried to mess with him and he knocked him the hell out. Well, the minute I saw the clip, I knew exactly who the fighter was. It was Rocky Lockridge, who was a fighter that I, I looked up to. I admired the way he fought and everything. And 
it really wasn't a street fight fight. I mean, it was a, it happened on the street in front of like a Seven Eleven or whatever. But it was a one-on-one encounter, and the guy, you know, the the, the, the asshole that was drunk or something, and all the asshole's friends were like, don't mess with the champ, man. Don't mess with the champ. Champ, don't do it. And the guy just approached Rocky. Rocky had the angle, and they talked for mere seconds, and Rocky launched first. Jab, cross, and then the guy went down, and, and Rocky was doubled up, ready to go again, and he stopped. It was it. It was all over. Two punches, done. Light jab, and then he pivoted with that right cross, or a, yeah, a light jab in that right hand. And that's how it should be done. Boom. One, two, three. Okay. And Rocky was already spent. He was an older guy. Um, but it, it, it was really, I've talked about this before. And it was unbelievable that Martin would send me that clip because we were just talking about this. If it wasn't last week, the week before, when I said about me in street fights, you know, I'll say something to you. We'll talk for a minute, but then it's on. And 99% of the time, I'm going first. I'm not going to let you, you know, get a shot in on me, right? And that's exactly what Rocky Lockridge did. Took him out. Boom, boom, boom. So because of the Rocky Lockridge clip, somehow or another, I stumbled upon this other clip of some fight science kind of thing. I don't know if that was the website, so I'm not – insulting if that's if there's a a a youtube page by that name i'm not inferring you Uh, it was just some guy that was talking about you know the science of fighting i guess and how you can't see the punch coming from this angle and you know this is you know this is this is the trick in a street fight i'm going to tell everybody out there uh and this is my opinion based on my experience personally and what i've witnessed from others you know seeing it I'm not going to let a guy get this close to me. I'm not going to let a guy get in my face. It's not going to happen ever, ever, ever. I'm going to back away, you know, and, and I'm going to get my angle then because, yeah, if I'm right in here, in here, I'm asking for trouble. My hands are down and all that shit. Forget about all of that. You need your space. You And 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 believe me, it makes a difference. The guy gets in on me like that, it's going down immediately. I'm not even going to let him speak. If I if I can't back out, I'm going to, I'm going to headbutt him or I'm going to do whatever. But if, if I have some room and I don't want to throw down, I'm, I'm backing up. And I am not going to do these psychological tricks or whatever you want to say that so many of these I, I came across the last couple of days, these, these people who don't have a clue about what a street fight's all about, like, you know, trying to be like non-threatening. No, no, no. I'm going to be threatening. My hands are going to be up. I'm going to protect myself. And I'm going to have an angle that is going to allow me to pivot. Okay, I want to be able to see everything around me, all right, because I'm not going to get cold comped. And there was a few videos like that, too, where a guy's like, let's say I'm engaging you, Martin, right now. I'm in your face, and I'm so focused on you, and here comes the blind side, boom, and the guy goes out. I mean, completely, I saw like two or three videos like that, right, because I've seen that happen even in, in, in person, but you you don't ever, ever, ever want to put yourself in that kind of a position. Okay, you cannot do it because you will get – I don't care who you are, Tyson, anybody. You know, you're going to get cold conked and, it, it, and maybe knocked out or worse, okay? Um, so if, if I know the threat's on – I mean, if the guy says, hey, what's your name? That's not a threat, right? But if he's cursing at me and I can see the guy is agitated – 
I don't know where he's going to go next, but I'm assuming it's going to be a deadly encounter. Deadly. That's the key here. I always have told you guys, every encounter that I have or anybody has can be, you have to assume it's going to end your life. And you have to be prepared to know that you may take his life. One punch, you hit him, he falls, he hits his head, he's dead. You got troubles, okay? Um, You have to have that kind of mindset. But don't allow yourself, don't give this person an edge. Do not. And especially guys like us, we're older. Our reflexes aren't going to be there. You know, if our hands are down here, you know, we're not going to be able to, you know, we're, we're older. You can't beat father time, man. So your positioning, and I can't demonstrate anything here. We should make a, a video on this, uh, a commercial video on just how to posture yourself in a street fight. There's good weather coming up in the next couple of months. Maybe we can get together a bunch of us and just film it. Put it on my website, put it here, a link, and sell it on my website, a DVD, or actually a download, whatever. But out of all the street fight videos I saw, the failures were because of, you know, blindsided or the guy got to, you know, got to jump on you, okay? Um, If a guy gets a drop on you, you're done. The successful uh, hidden camera street fights uh, or whatever, that didn't happen. The, 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 The fighter was very astute the other thing to bear in mind is get off of this one-on-one shit okay be thankful if it's a one-on-one fight because it probably won't be and i i use the term street fighting but i don't even consider that necessarily a street fight if you're arguing in a bar and you're going outside i I, i'll use the term street fight but in my in the back of my mind that's really not a street fight to me okay i should probably use mugging or, or or ganged up on or something but i generically use street fights um, so you got to worry about multiple assailants. You got to worry about weapons, <laughs> okay? Especially getting shot or, or or some shit like that. And on that note, I saw Mike Tyson thing. <clears throat> Tyson sitting at this is recent, I guess. Tyson sitting at a bar or wherever it was, it looked like a bar, and then some guys jabber John like behind the tables or bar or whatever. And there's some dude that you know Tyson doesn't flinch. Tyson just sitting there minding his own business, I guess. And then some big dude, tall dude, confronts the the loudmouth, trying to talk him down and, you know, get the fuck out, this, that, whatever. And the funniest thing, man, the guy starts bagging up, and, and the, the, the tough guy, the, the good guy, you know, he's trying to help, still kind of like walking towards him. And the guy lifts up his shirt, just flashes it, he sees the gun, and, man, that tough guy just turned and walked away, right? <laughs> walked away. And then it all calm down, Tyson ended up shaking the guy's hand and all of that shit. But that could have been that could have been a bad scene, okay? And in this this is this is what I try to tell people. Many people still, even in the martial arts world, not all, but some that just don't get it, right? They don't realize how quickly a street fight can um escalate. So it all turned out good, thank God. Because this was in a public, this was inside. It was a bunch of people that you know were probably there to assist. But um, if you're in range and you got the skills, you got to take this sob out because there's, I mean, there's no guarantee that even if you think you you talked it down, you start backing away that he don't he won't pull out and pop you. So you need to take him out. And we I think we talked about this the other day. Then you need to frisk this guy. You know, if you don't knock him out, you better choke him out or do something. But you be, you need to find out 
if this guy's packing. I show something like that on a Snap Notes app. What Costa, I think, or maybe it was Big Brian, I don't recall who I grappled with, but, you know, tie up. If the guy's going to tie you up, you, you frisk him while you're tying him up. Use your legs, you know, keep your hips away, but, you know, you need to know what you're dealing with here. Um, so you have to expect the worst. You just, you just have to expect the worst. And hopefully it doesn't, you know, hopefully it doesn't come to that. But, um, yeah, that big dude just turned and, and walked away. And I'm not making a judgment on that. He did the right thing. I mean, he was at too far at a distance at that point to do anything. Okay. This guy was far away and he could have easily pulled it out and, and drew and that would have been it. Um, so I, I just think that's getting lost in, in all of this too. Uh, well, shit, Cain Velasquez, look what he did. And he's, he's UFC champ, you know, recently. And, uh, you know, he pulled, he pulled his gun and, and fired. This is, this is a, this is a, this is a trained MMA guy that did it, you know? Um, so you, you just have to expect the worst. You you understand? Yeah. You know, the, the thing that, uh, you get for free from doing any kind of like combat training is that you realize that being this close face to face with somebody is an unnatural place. Like you, you immediately feel uncomfortable. Like what you said about backing away, getting that distance. in. if somebody's this close to you, something bad is going down. You having trained, you know, done boxing or, or wrestling, you know, in that distance, you should be having your hands on the other guy. Like you just don't have that level of confrontation. So, so that's like a, like a, like a starting point that you kind of know that this is not cool. Uh, but the other thing that um, I read somewhere on like a Reddit thread that was talking about survival techniques for the CTA, because the, the Chicago transit has gotten to be complete bedlam. And like, I mean, it's, it's been, it's more dangerous than it's ever been before. And they play with the statistics because the cops always did. But the reality is like, that is the number one place to get robbed these days. And the survival uh, techniques included, like, if you're in a confrontation, throw the first punch. Yeah. And, well, and then think about what you're going to do next. Yeah, I mean, you got to, <clears throat> but again, you have to be trained to throw that punch. And you can't just, you can't just, yeah, yes, I agree. That's been my model. But it's not just learning how to throw a punch. You know, there's so much follow up if it doesn't happen now you've taken it to level two perhaps and all that but yeah i uh and again i'm not there's always subtle subtleties all right across the board i'm just you know there, there could be variations i'm just speaking generally okay but yes i feel that you have to be aggressive be the you know this i used to teach a system that i used to call it the science of self-offense not self-defense. I don't want to be on the defensive. Okay. Uh, I, I want to control. I want to dictate. I want to be in control. So CTA or not CTA, it, it doesn't matter. But now, but, but again, CTA, um, for those who don't know, that's Chicago Transit Authority. It's the bus lines and all of that jazz. Um, you, uh, many techniques, even if like, you know, let's say you're the best tie boxer in the world, your round kicks aren't going to work in there. You can't get them off. You can use your knees, maybe your elbows, your headbutts. If you're a grappling ground fighter fighting off your back, you're not going to do that there. Um, so you're, you got to train for that. Um, it's a, it's a whole different, whole different thing. <clears throat> so, uh, 
yeah, uh, but generally speaking, you you have to be prepared, you know, to assault first, um, and just you know because you genuine genuinely are in fear of your life. It's it's not a bullshit thing. You are scared. You don't know what this guy's going to do, you know. Um, but a lot of people just can't do that, and they don't have the overall training, you know, especially if you're going to rely on wrestling, even just, just catch wrestling or Brazilian jiu-jitsu or, or sambo or something. Well, not uh, not necessarily sambo so much, but, but you know, the, any just like ground fighting, uh, you got to have more than that, especially in a situation like that. You got to have more than that. Ground fighting skills alone are, aren't going to help you. Uh, I mean, p- perhaps they it won't help you. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have that, but you got to have more. Um, and you got to be able to neutralize this person, you know, quickly. And what I want the listeners to understand is the, the bulk of the time, the person that's robbing you or just whatever, the bad guy, he's not going to be a, a skilled pro. Not Sometimes he he may be, or he could just be a big, uh, you know, big tough guy, but you know, you, 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 you're, you're not going up against Brock Lesnar here, you know, more than likely, or uh, Kurt Angle or, you know, Muhammad Ali or somebody. So, you know, you, you've got to train <clears throat> to do your stand up and do it in a close quarter situation and don't count on anybody helping you. Okay. Just don't. That's another thing. I saw some subway, New York subway videos. Nobody helped. They're too busy fucking filming. I mean, put the camera down, help this guy out. You know, assholes, you know, help the guy. Don't try to make hits on YouTube based on somebody else getting hit. You know, you want a thousand hits on YouTube while this guy's getting a thousand hits to his face because you're not helping him. You know, that hurts me too. Um, But yeah, you can't count on anybody to help you. Anybody that advocates that is, is foolish. You know, um, you're you're pretty much on your own. So get used to that concept, too. Um, Oh, I get upset. (laughs) I don't want to. Let's keep this lighthearted. Let's talk about you, Martin. (laughs) No, that makes me upset, too. Um, But you get my point, guys. Uh, When you're talking street fights, now you're talking deadly, you know. And for those of you who aren't really keeping up with Chicago, you know, we're on this wave of carjackings and so on, and many of these carjackings, I think the majority they're saying are, are teenagers, younger kids carjacking. They're still packing and shit, um, but you, you can't think, oh, he's just a little kid. You know, you've got to expect everybody to be against, you know, being a, you know, uh, an adversary here, um, and you got to assume they're packing. So... You have to make some determinations, uh, and especially in a situation like a car, where you you again, generally speaking, have a little more options than you would on the CTA. Okay, on the CTA, you're kind of trapped on the CTA. In the car, you may be in your car, trapped in your car, but you still hopefully can react while you have control of your vehicle and speed off. Just go. The hell with your car if your front end gets smashed or something. Just get out of there because you don't want to get shot.
Somebody say something, Joe. <laughs> well, I was thinking about kind of the, the altercation that you were describing where the boxer dropped the one guy and, and kind of going back to the previous conversation we had and, and actually the, the mugging you experienced at the ATM. And, and it's kind of made me rethink my priorities. But if you're in a situation where you feel you can go to the ground, like there's not that there's not other people milling about where you might get piled on the priority of trying to take out their arms quickly you know, to finish that off because, uh, you know, that's what's going to grab the knife or that's what's going to grab the gun. So even if you've dropped the person, you know, kind of like if you're preemptively taken, stun them or knock them down, you've got to, I'm assuming you, you're recommending thinking you should consider that as an option. If you're, if, if the opportunity presents itself to, to, that should be a priority basically to disable those arms as quickly as possible. I can't give broad advice because situations are different in my in that particular situation on Irving Park it was the it, it, it was just the right thing obviously to do it was the situation warranted it he was right there and I was down here you know putting my wallet back in my pants okay so his hands were open I mean not what I mean not like open fingers but they you know he didn't have a weapon at that point so it was much easier for me to go in on him, take him down, and just go to town, okay? A slightly different scenario may not have been appropriate to do. A general rule of thumb, if the guy's got a knife, you stay stand back. If the guy you think he may have a gun, you get in close. Because I can't disarm you with that gun from 8 feet away or 10 feet away or 12 feet away. And I still have time, as long as my hands are here, if you got a knife, I can prepare for this. But the gun, I mean, you could just draw that and, you know, you could shoot me from 20 feet away, okay? You're not going to knife me from 20 feet away. You got to get closer. So it's a different uh, it's a different approach on that. Um, <clears throat> you don't, you know, I don't advocate ever cooperating, like, let this guy take you someplace else, da-da-da, hostage shit. No, you're going to die more than likely. So if they hostage you. Take them out there. You know, um, you may have to use a little psychology, especially a guy now getting my age, you know, feigning a heart attack, like, <gasps> you know, and then get the guy to like, what's he doing? And then boom, get him, you know, whatever. Just, I make it, you know, that's just, there's things that you can do depending on the situation. That's why you have to have an ample bag of tricks. It's like, you know, what should I say to that girl at the end of the bar? Well, Hello, maybe. But outside of that, you know, you got to have a vocabulary where you can string together a logical pickup line. It's the same thing here with fighting. You know, all these guys on YouTube giving all this shit advice, or I shouldn't say it's shit advice. But what I meant is giving all this advice. Some of it's shit. Some of it's legit. But it's all it's almost like this is all you need. All right. And that's not true. And that's what irks me when people kind of make these blanket statements like this is all you need. Just do this. This one little trick will, you know, defeat 99% of street fighters. That's all bullshit. Okay, that's clickbait. Because you're opening up, be, be honest, man, you're opening up a can of worms. You know, like me, I've said this, I think, last week or whenever, me with the Polish. I'll go to a bar and I'll say, Chesh, uh, you know, 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 you
you know, and then, oh, God, Tony speaks Polish. Now they're they're rambling in Polish. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> That's all I know in Polish, you know, or whatever. I just blew my wad, let's say. And and that's the same thing when you rely on these tricks. Don't open up, don't open up a can of worms based on tricks. Okay, don't start talking to a Polish bartender based on the, the little bit of Polish you may know, or the Italian, or the German, because you know you're going to end up unless you're unless you're cute about it. You're going this guy's full of shit. So that's what I w- worry about when people just kind of like say, "This is what you need. This is all you need." You know. Um, or like, all you need to do is BJJ, or all you need is grappling. Uh, you know, no bullshit. You need a hell of a lot more than that. You know, you need to know everything an MMA fighter needs to know and more. Okay, not less. Not relying on simple little tricks. And um, if you really want to learn how to fight, it is a lifetime thing. The only difference is now an MMA guy or a boxer is training specifically for matches and and all of this, and they may be let's say, more technical at what they do than you. You don't need to be as, you know, um, super good as them because you're not going up against, hopefully in the street, somebody that's as good as, let's just say, I don't know, Brock Lesnar or whatever. Um, but you need to have a, rounded, a well-rounded skill set that involves weapons that you're really, really good with your punches and your defense, okay? Um, I think defense is defense is perhaps even more important because you don't want to get out. You know, you don't want to get knocked out or choked out uh, in a street fight because you may never wake up again. Okay. So I think that's super important too. And something that's overlooked. So the angle, the footwork and all this shit that you do for MMA or, you know, let's say uh, maybe a little different. I saw a video on that too. I quit watching it after the first 30 seconds because the guy didn't know what he was talking about. Bash and boxing and all that. So when you bash, uh, uh, you know, something like boxing and shit, you've lost a lot of, you don't know what you're talking about. It's basically, you know, all of these skills can come into play. If you can incorporate some kickboxing, some tie boxing, some boxing, some wrestling, whatever, that's great. You know, um, I just know that learning how to move, the head movement, the angles, the footwork, having your balance is what's important. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a tie boxing balance or a kickboxing or boxing. It's balance is balance. You know, you, and you just have to be prepared to know what you're entering into because none of those sports involve dealing with a gunman or a knifer. Okay, none of them. So you are going to have to improvise on the fly. And that's how I've always talked about guys with you guys about fighting from 30 years ago or whenever it was that I made the law start hooking or uh, yeah, it's about improvising like a jazz musician. You've got to develop your mind to improvise. So yeah, you may go from a traditional boxing stance to a wider kickboxing. Look at that Rocky Lockridge clip. When he threw that jab, he was his feet were kind of narrow. He threw the jab, and immediately he went into like a split stance. Okay, he went into a split stance, wide stance, and delivered that power right hand, and it, and it was it fight fight over. Okay, and then he moved in on the guy. Uh, he looked like he was ready to fight for the title. I mean, it was boom. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was all, back. Was, all of it right. went back. Yep, boom. But he immediately went into that split stance so he could get that that power. All right, 
Now you're going to have some Yahoo on, on the internet telling you don't use a boxing stance in a street fight. Tell you what, um, you need to quit putting out YouTube videos and actually start learning. Okay. Learn, learn, learn more because I've been hit by old timer, like a Rocky Lockridge situation. You know, my grandfather clubbed me once when I was 16 years old, we were goofing around. I dropped my hand trying to do a, you know, uh, well, it would be like a Floyd Mayweather thing now, but before Floyd Mayweather, and he, he clipped me. I'm like, Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for the wall, I would have probably went down. You know, you, you've got to respect the man's power, and it's all boxing or whatever. But to sit there and diminish that, I saw my grandfather get into three fights. He was street fights. He was a boxer. He, he In two of them, he knocked both guys down, you know, and uh, the third one, he bloodied the guy's nose, the guy, a big dude, and the guy just quit, you know, just stopped and pulled out his hanky and put it on his nose all over a parking spot. Um, so, yeah, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to swing. And I've known plenty of boxers, old timers, that could handle themselves quite well in a street fight. You know, again, I'm not saying they're going to win the UFC, but this is a street fight, street encounters that we're talking about here. And, they all strike first. You know, they may have tried to talk it down, but they strike first. My, my grandfather tried to talk three of them down. You know, all three that I've seen him in, he tried to talk them down. Didn't work, so my grandfather went first. <laughs> he struck first. So, but you, he, he had enough. Now, granted, he wasn't a wrestler. It could have gotten worse. It didn't, it didn't though. But he didn't just strike and, and have no plan. He moved, you know, he didn't move like I did. He was an older man. He moved in a different way, more like a crouch, you know. He, he came from a crouch, pulled out, hooked, you know. Or he, he fainted with his right on the one. So the guy's, you know, the guy's hand came up. And it was kind of like a delay. The guy's dropped in and boom, you know, because you generally don't want to leave with a left hook, you know. But, bam, um, it, was, it was great. Uh, that was right in, I was sitting on the porch. It happened right on my porch, well, on the sidewalk there, um, over a guy blocking his driveway. <laughs> you know, my grand, and we know the guy lived like two, two houses over. Young guy. He was like late 20s, 30 maybe. Chicky was this guy's name. You know, and my grandfather was sitting right there. Grandpa said, hey, don't block the driveway, Chicky. And Chicky said, fuck you, old man. Well, nobody says the F word to my grandfather. He got off that porch. I'm not sure Usain Bolt could have gotten off that porch quicker than my grandfather. I mean, he was down on, on, on that side of walking, and he's a faint boom, 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 bam, dropped him. And there was neighbors sitting on the porch. And there was a couple younger, like a young girl, older than me. These are people are all older than me. But one guy, Terry Green, and he's like, he was getting ready to jump. Well, my grandfather didn't need his help. You know, dropped him right on. We had a sewer there. Dropped him right on that damn sewer uh, you know, the sewer, the sewer lid. Beautiful thing. <laughs> oh, well. And my grandfather was in his 60s, I'll tell you that, and, and ill health. So you got to protect yourself. I know I'm rambling today, but you got to protect yourself and, and strike if you can. Know your strikes and know your angles. And that, I'll never forget it. And he, he had the right angle. He just fainted. You know, he like Rocky didn't faint so much. Rocky threw that light jab. That was his feint. Rocky Lockridge's jab was the feint. And then he, boom, he came across with the right hand. 
Um, that was a thing of beauty because he just split. He went right into his split stance. My grandfather squared up more like a Tyson thing because he was he was going to throw the hook. And uh, and it's actually, it's actually, that's exactly what he did. You know, this doofus drops his hands, his right hand, and boom, club, bow. Now imagine he had to live two doors away for another year or whatever it was before he moved. I mean, that's humiliating to get set on your ass by a 60-some-year-old guy. I'm sure he wasn't getting laid. His wife saw it, too. I'm sure he didn't get, get laid for a, for a while. Um, embarrassing. But see, I was around dudes like this, you know, old-time boxers. So I know I know to respect these old timers, man. They, some of them can pack a wallop. You don't want to get walloped. <laughs> yeah, having some kind of athletic background helps because at least you can always try running away. These old guys, <laughs> maybe they can't run so fast no more. Well, why do you want to do do it out? I mean, why why be disrespectful? I mean, you know this. You know it, this is not a like a modern generation like the it's all the millennials. No, this shit was going down in my time, at least in the seventies. You know where you had wise cracks and you know smart, smart mouths and shit. I was I used to lip off and practical joke people and and do shit like that. I shouldn't have done. You know I pushed it too far. So this is not a new phenomenon. This is what cracks me up. So oh, many yeah. people are like, whoa, look what's happening to the world. This shit's been going on all day forever. And you know this is maybe for another day because it's a it's a big topic, but. There is a documentary called uh, uh, Malice at the Palace about the fight they had between like Detroit Pistons and and fans and some crazy basketball brawl. And Ron Artest, who was a a basketball player on one of those teams at the time, Mm -hmm. his his psychologist made him go look into what made him do all this stuff. And he tracked down the guy he punched because it was a guy that threw a beer at him and he punched the guy he, he thought was the guy that threw a beer. It was a different guy. It was a big mess. But he actually went and tracked everybody down, had him sit down and talk about it. It turns out that just about everybody involved had like a really bad day. Like the guy that threw the beer was going through a divorce. He was suicidal. The guy next to him put him up to it because he was going through some trouble too. I think he got fired at work or something like that. So that day was a microcosm of people having a really crappy time. And they unleashed it in that, that brawl. So you just never know. Like somebody might be a perfectly normal person 99.9% of the time. And then you encounter them that one day when they're, they're just done with it. They're, they're done. They're going to do something crazy. Well, after you spending know? this time with looking at you and Joe, I'm, I'm liable to go out and kill somebody now. Talk about a bad day. I'm stuck with you two guys. Lucky um, you're in the middle of nowhere. So no one <laughs> Yeah, thank God, right? <laughs> well, I hate to be a squirrel right about now. But look, we had that in Cleveland. I was a little boy. I wasn't there, but it was Texas Rangers against the Cleveland Indians, man. Ten cent beer night. You know, then it was the beer brawl that ended all of those kind of co- promotions and shit. The brawl in the stands. And this was back in the 70s. I don't remember exactly, probably 74 or something like that. I'm sure you can look it up on the Internet. The, the, the beer brawl at, you know, Municipal Stadium, Cleveland Indians, I think it was against the Texas Rangers. I think, think Billy Martin was the was the manager of the Rangers at the time. Um but yeah, this go go to England with the soccer hooligans and shit. So this stuff is, it's it's not new. Okay, as a matter of fact, I still think it's safer now than it was in the seventies. At least my area, um, well, it was worse in the seventies and shit. Um, and I think statistics prove it. But um, be that as it may, though, 
I, uh, I think it was an interesting, uh, uh, you know, topic that we talked about today. And, um, for me, uh, I just want everybody out there that's listening or watching, you know, to, to realize there are no, are no shortcuts when it comes to street fighting. Okay. So if you're training for shortcuts, the next time you have a health crisis, I want you to find a doctor who actually never really graduated med school, but just knows some shortcuts. Would you trust your life to a doctor that just did the shortcuts? I don't think you would. Therefore, don't trust your own life to yourself if you're basing everything on learning a few shortcuts. Because I saw this on YouTube, you know, uh, and it was some special YouTube guy who's got one million subscribers that told me to do this. Uh, he'll get stretched if he runs into the wrong person, okay? And I got to tell you, Danny Hodge, one of the biggest regrets of my life is that I never got to meet him. And I was supposed to meet him in Iowa. And I brought my grippers and everything. And that's when I met like Vern Gagne and Luthez, or not, well, Lou was there. I'd already known Luthez, but Gagne was there. Um, Dan Gable, Doug Bluebaugh. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I was, of course, watching all these videos that these guys, wrestlers were saying about Hodge when he grabbed you, grabbed you, grabbed you. Oh my God. And the pain. Well, that's exactly what I went through with Rodvan with those, with that grip. You know, because the, 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 Rodvan's grip was the best I've ever encountered, right? Now, of course, Danny Hodge was a more accomplished amateur wrestler. He was should have been a gold medalist, but he was in the Olympics. He won the silver medal. Rodvan was more accomplished with the submissions and, you know, all of that jazz. So I can understand, I can relate to what these guys in the pro wrestling world were, were you know, remarking about Danny Hodge and how all these submission guys – Back then, they couldn't tap him out. He powered out of everything, okay, because the submissions weren't done elitely. They were done, you know, the way that I you shouldn't do, okay. And strong guys were were able to get out. Uh, and there was, you know, another wrestler I can't remember his name who who even talked about that. How these submission holds will work against a fish. They don't work against a strong wrestler or a guy who's, you know. Um, got their wits about them that, you know, that's, uh, that has some exposure to it. But I, I found, so, so I say this to guys out there that are practicing their submissions. Um, bear in mind, you're going up against somebody more than likely in your gym. That's going to, he's there to learn or she's there to learn and they're cooperate, cooperating to a degree. Um, but if you go up against a freak, you know, a guy who's like strong or aggressive or uh, on something, PCP, whatever it may be, he may blow right through your shit, okay? Um, you've got to get those submissions on and really be on. And many people tap to submissions when they should not tap, okay? Now, I'm not advocating guys to take it to break it, you know, take it to break it. Just we all know, and I've put submissions on guys that tap right away when I, well, I didn't even have them on. I'm like, I mean, not, not even the way that I do it. Cause you know, the way I do it, I don't even have to have it all the way on and you're tapping. I'm not talking about that. 
I'm just basically grabbing you. And they're tapping more out of fear. Okay. They're not tapping out of dire need. Right. Um, that really thumbs up wrestler I was talking about. He was going up against the guy and the guy was kind of like blocking an arm bar. And this guy had him in a neck crank. Uh, the, the thumbs up guy had him in the neck, in the neck crank. And it took a while. The guy was tapping. He, he went like one, two, then one, two, three, four. You know, and I think he tapped like three times, you know, three series of taps before they relinquished it. All that time, he could have easily gotten out of the, well, I shouldn't say easily, but he could have been fighting out of that neck ramp. He could have pushed the guy's leg off and been done. It was a crooked head scissor. He could have gotten out of it, okay? Um, but he wasted too much time trying to tap. Now, it was a severe neck crank, but if he would have responded quickly, Okay, forget about blocking the arm bar. You're going to get your neck broken. You know, break out of that. Then, you you know, then if the guy tries to transition to the arm bar, you're going to be, you should be able to counter it, all right? So um, I never knew the conception, as we talked about before, about tapping out. I never knew about that, okay, because it was just, you're done. You know, you're going to get punished here, and don't let, don't ever get put into submission to begin with. So, I bring this up because there will be people in the world that just won't tap, okay? They're not going to tap out because either they don't know, they don't feel they're in danger, they don't, you know, they're, they're hopped up, they're strong. So you can't always just rely on them, all right? Um, and it's and it's easy or easier to get these submissions when you're just grappling only, okay? If a guy's ripping you or biting you or throwing punches and all this other shit, Man, it's a whole different world. It, it truly is. And I think UFC-type fights, MMA fights, you know, uh, bear that out, you know, because striking changes everything. So if you're not even ready to rip and accept all of that stuff, you know, um, at least train with strikes. And it don't have to be knockout punches, but just even open-hand slaps, just anything. To, you know, because that screws up your timing, you know, all of that. You got you to just start training a little bit more realistically. Um, and then, of course, eventually start incorporating weapons, dummy weapons, but weapons nonetheless. And then you'll really realize what your limits are. Scary thing. You understand? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a solid reminder to everybody to, like, keep it real, I guess. You know, and, and 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 don't get locked into just the sportive side of the training, which we always harp on. Well, let me finish by saying one other thing about sportive. So, like, I saw a couple of these legitimately established uh, judo guys, Olympians and shit, doing some pro wrestling oriented things. But it was so the opponent was like, you know, reaching out or mock striking, and 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 it was just like you could see the way the judo guys were like reacting. And it really wasn't a proper reaction, okay, because they're, they're used to guys, like, reaching out to tie up with the jacket, all fine and dandy. But in a street scenario or against in a mixed martial arts thing, whatever, you're not going to be, like, reaching out and then dropping your hands again because you're going to get knocked out. You're going to get clobbered. And I think that's another thing you got to worry about. You've got, if, if you're one of those guys that are used to reaching out for the jacket, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, those throwing arts, jacketed throwing arts are absolutely world-class, but 
your hands. Again, don't be vulnerable. Don't leave your face open because you'll get dropped in a heartbeat against somebody, you know, who that's what he does for a living or that's what his forte is, his strikes. You know, you, you, you're not, you know, you got to protect yourself, man. You cannot allow yourself to be open. I saw some, some other events, same thing. They weren't full contact, but no punches to the face. I'm like, man, this is not good. Okay. This is just not good. You, you've, you've got to defend your face and hopefully your torso's in shape, you know, so you, in case you have to absorb a body punch, but for sure, man, you've got to protect your noggin. You cannot be leaving your face out there, man, to get clobbered. Um, but that's pretty much all I have to say on it. I will wrap it up by my end of it, Lisa, by saying, I don't, I don't know who the toughest pro wrestler was. I wasn't in that world. Uh, you hear a lot of stories about this person, that main Haku, really King Tonga Haku is, is the generally the one whose name is top of the pecking order back when in, in his prime. Um, it, it, it really doesn't matter because the one thing I will say out of all the stories I've heard about Meng, or I don't know why, I, I always call him Haku, but it's Meng too. Um, I'm calling him Meng today for some reason. Um, I never heard any wrestler mention one story about weapons involved, which I think is very interesting. Okay? Weapons change everything. And I'm not here to cast dispersions on Haku because – he, I'll bet you he was the toughest of those guys. I'd love to meet the guy or at least talk to the guy. I really would. Um, I find him fascinating. I'd like to know more about his sumo background and his philosophy on it off the record, you know, try to get a real truly shoot out of him, you know. Um, but, yeah, weapons change everything, man. It, it, it just does. So, but Martin, you know, it was good to, good to have you on here again. You're, you're Martin, the guy in the middle. I'm talking to you. Yeah, yeah. no, no, it was uh, good to chat. You guys got any closing questions or something? I just think that uh, we should, next time we have an opportunity, we can talk a little bit about this whole psychology of all these uh, people having a bad day and just completely losing it. Because I just looked it up. It was 30 years between the beer brawl and the malice at the palace. So I think we're due for another one soon. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we can do – somebody's got a sign behind your head there, Martin. One of your kids. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it can happen anytime, place, you know. And right now the whole world's kind of – or at least America, I'll speak on that. We're under a lot of tension. We're under a lot of stuff. This summer it looks like things are starting to open up in Chicago, Lollapalooza, and I guess the, uh, the other fests are going to be uh, cranking. So there, there may be a very good oppor- or not opportunity, but a very good uh, pr- uh, w- probability that there may be there may be some issues going on, you know. And um, yeah, I think we need to, you know, within the next few weeks, get you back on and let's 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 talk about that. And um, you know, maybe within the next couple of months, get together and film some stuff, you know, about just positioning only in a street fight and things along those lines um, because it's important. And, you know, and by no means what I show will be definitive. Okay. It won't be like, this is all you need to know. This is just a, a way to get you to 
think properly based on guys like myself, and maybe we can get somebody else that actually has the true world, real world, uh, you know, scenario. I would actually, one of these days, like to make it really in depth, like, you know, film in a bar, film on a bus, you know, that, that may not be practical right away. And I, I'm handcuffed now because, oh, I should give an, an update on my mother. So my mother got released from the hospital Thursday, and here's the problem. She needs at least short-term care, which is what I thought we were going to get. Well, because of her mental decline or Alzheimer's, there's no hospitals, short-term hospitals that would accept her. They don't have a bed for, for that. And her Medicare and Humana would, would have covered it. Um, so therefore, they had to release her back to me. And now she's going to have a traveling nurse just for the next four weeks, come once or twice a week, just short, like 15 minutes. And then we're, I'm waiting on a call from a physical therapist and an occupational therapist to try to help her do some exercises. I don't know their frequency, probably, again, once or twice a week for maybe 45 minutes. So that, that none of this gives me any break to do anything, okay, um, at all. I can't leave. I have to be here. Um, for, for, for all of that. So, uh, and then I'm waiting on a social worker who's supposed to make one trip here only. And she's going to talk to me about my future options. And the options are very difficult for me because of the fact that I've been here for so many years, not able to work, unemployable at this stage of the game. So, you know, if my mom left today or something like that, I'd be, I'd probably get, and end up, end up getting evicted because I'd have to move. And, you know, while I may have money for a down payment somewhere, you know, a, what do you call it? A security deposit. No, I don't, I don't work. You know, this, sadly, this, these web podcasts don't bring in any income, zero, no new memberships or anything. So I have to somehow get established. It would take me a couple of months, two, three months to, you know, at least get established. So in the interim, you know, where am I going to live? Right. So that's, that's something that I'm going to have to deal with. And I'll talk to the social worker about that, but there's really nothing that she's going to be able to, or he is going to be able to do. I think it's a, she that's, that's going to be able to, you know, deal with it. So, um, so I don't know, basically guys, when we can do this filming, um, it, it won't be anytime quick. Uh, matter of fact, I had a request to do a seminar in Ohio. Um, not Cleveland or anything, but South. Uh, and I, I just, I can't commit to it because I just don't know, you know, when or if. Um, and same with you, Martin, you wanted us to do some live classes again in Chicago. And, you know, I don't know when, because especially now with gas being $5 a gallon for me, you know, I, it'd be $40 round trip for me to just get to Chicago with the tolls and the gas. So, um, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, so we'll just play it by ear, but anyway, so I just wanted to give everybody an update on my mother. Um, I want to thank everybody though, for always listening and, and watching and, uh, you know, and for our guests like Martin and, you know, uh, and hopefully we'll get others. Um, I really would like to get a pro guy in here, a guy that did pro wrestling and that doesn't have to be even shoot wrestling, just a guy that's willing to be candid about stuff. And drop the kayfabe, you know, um, 
that's kind of hard to find. It may be harder to find Jimmy, harder to find one of those guys than it is to find Jimmy Offa because so many that I've known really do want to keep that kayfabe going. You know, um, Lou was very candid. It's kind of funny when Lou was alive, he set the pecking order down. He said, here's the real shooters. Okay. And then after Lou died, now all of a sudden, everybody that ever laced up boots was a shooter. It, it, I find that kind of fascinating, but Lou was kind of the last of the, uh, you know, uh, gate masters, I, I guess you'd say. He was a hell of a guy. It's too bad he's no longer with us. Rodman, all of these guys. There's probably a lot of other greats that, that I, I'm talking about guys that I knew personally, you know, that are, that are gone. And I know there was other greats uh, that I probably could have gotten out there, boxers, you know, old-time boxers that are gone. So, um, but anyway, yep. Just want to thank you guys. And what's your closing comments, Joseph? No, I just thank you, Martin, for uh, joining on the podcast. Definitely contributed. So appreciate you making the time for us. Yeah, it's always fun. It's it's a bit of like nostalgia trip, but also like, uh, you know, some analysis kind of kind of stuff because as things change they they still stay the same so a lot of what tony has to say is very relevant yeah i'm not ready for the retirement pasture yet you know uh but i just like i say i have a different approach you know i'm I'm coming from a really hardcore i probably should have been living in japan you know and where it's i think the stuff would have been more um applicable you know the more hard school or a hard style a hard style school you know, where I could really open up and, and do my thing. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, it, it, you know, if, if it just didn't work out that way, right. What it should have, could have, but it didn't work out. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what life, uh, brings, but anyway, everybody out there, thank you guys. And we will see you next week. We may have a, Joe, are we going to have a special guest next week? Yeah, we may record it later in the week because we might do it in, uh, he works weekends. So we might do it like a, so we might release it a little bit later in the week, basically. I'll get the scheduling out to Well, you no, if we, if we film Wednesday, we can still release it next Sunday. Well, it won't be this Wednesday. It'll, it might be a week from, I have to figure Okay, well, out. then we'll have our own podcast again next week. Um, and if Martin is available, we can follow this up next week with part two. That'd be fine with me. It's all about Martin because it's, it's always about Martin. Um, and it's always been that way. Uh, isn't that funny? But he was my, my Polish coach too. A lot of people don't know this, but Martin, Martin gave me a lot of, gave me like lessons. Sometimes when we're, when I'm training them on uh, the zoom thing, cause I'll throw, I'll, I'll call out numbers either to jump, how many jumps or like combinations, like one, two, or one, two, three, you know, and once in a while I, I get bored. Cause you know, I'm just, so I'll go yedin, yedin va. I'll be counting out in Polish just to try to keep my Polish going. So Martin, always feel free to critique me and I may be signing up for some zoom Polish lessons, lessons with you. Um, but we'll see. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, guys. Thanks for, thanks a million. Bye. Bye. <laughs>